Welcome to Parlay Me Power Players. This is a podcast that explores the latest entrepreneurs, startups, founders, business leaders, and even enterprises that are changing the game. We call them the disruptors. You might see them as your mentors or maybe even your colleagues, but we are so excited to bring to you each week someone we find either fascinating, progressive, or someone that's really making changes in all kinds of industries. We are agnostic in what we cover, so we cover everything from mobility to AI to food and produce, you name it, we cover it. But most importantly, we want to showcase to you entrepreneurs that are really making a difference and making the world a better place. Alrighty guys, so we are here, we're here for another episode of Parlay Me Power Players and we're super excited today to have a very special guest on this episode. We have uh, Benny Gradwell. Now Benny is the co-founder and CEO of Cognovi Labs, a tech startup based out of New York that specializes in predictive analytics. So until now, Cognovi Labs has focused primarily on the financial market and corporations. However, at the onset of the coronavirus, which we are all in the midst of, the Cognovi team developed and launched a real-time index to track the emotional attitudes and anxiety of the population with respect to the coronavirus pandemic. Now, from my understand, and Benny's here to correct me on it, of course, Cognovi Labs measures the public's emotions in general around the coronavirus outbreak and more specifically in relation to employment, travel, and schools. And we'll go into that a little bit further. So Cognovi Labs is a dashboard, if you will, and provides a level of transparency into the public emotional state. Now tell me, Benny, you're here. <laughs> tell me, ultimately, are you equipping businesses with the, ability to, with the ability to be less reactionary and more predictive? And if so, how are you going about that and what tools are you using at Cognovi Labs? Yes, uh, it's a real pleasure being here, January. And uh, we are a predictive company, but there are two components to our technology. One is really to help our clients, whether they are investors or their corporations or ad agencies, better forecast product sales or, or their marketing campaign. But we're also able to help change behavior in a way that it drives a better outcome. And I'll explain in a second. But in order to really explain, I have to step back a little bit and tell you who we are and what exactly we do. So our technology, we've been around for three and a half years, but our technology really has been developed at the university in Ohio, uh, White State University in Dayton. It's a small university, but it has a center called the Noesis Center, which is a powerhouse in semantic processing and AI, meaning understanding creating technology which understands free-flowing conversations, not structured, but unstructured conversation at scale and in real time. So really using that big data analysis. They uh, developed that technology over eight years with millions from the Air Force, Department of Energy and National Science Foundation. And we at Cognovi, we took out that technology and transferred it into Cognovi, when it was in the fourth generation around three and a half years ago. And we have been building uh, the additional intellectual property and the product on top of that. Here's what's at the core of our technology. What we are trying to do is understand 
how human beings make decisions in real time and at scale. And that means the human being, it could be the public in general, it could be an electorate for, uh, and the voters going into a, a, an election. It could be the consumer understanding if they're motivated to go out and buy Nike sneakers versus Adidas sneakers or travel on American Airlines versus British Airlines. So understand how human beings make decisions and what that means for future actions because that drives sales, that drives outcome. Now, the reason we're able to do that is uh, an interesting observation which uh, has, you know, decades of psychology has shown us that we as human beings we're not as logical as we think we are. In fact, the majority of decision in a normal environment, not in a coronavirus pandemic, but even in a normal environment, 70 to 90% of those decisions are made by the subconscious mind based on emotions. It's not the logical brain. It's a, lim a limbic system. It's the emotional brain which makes those decisions. And what we are doing is we understand the emotionality behind the conversations to then translate that into behavioral signals. Fascinating stuff. It's really fascinating stuff. So tell me, when did you start Cognovi Labs? Like when did the idea for, um, you know, you were once a start off and obviously you've been going for some years now, but when did it come, to, the idea come to you and when did it come? Yeah, so the idea has been, uh, I've been working on the idea in some shape or form for more than 20 years. And I'll, I'll tell you how I came into it. And so quick background, um, you know, I started in academia and in astrophysics, but then switched into finance. And I spent 20 years in finance uh, before I went more into the emerging technology. And in my finance career, the first decade, I was managing um, institutional portfolios, equity portfolios. And then I went into, I went to Morgan Stanley, became head of product. And then during the financial crisis in 2008, I actually was managing the uh, mortgage portfolio at Citi, a $280 billion uh, portfolio of pretty toxic assets. But the reason I'm telling you that is in, in the late 90s, uh, my, my boss at that time on the investment side sent me to take a class in behavioral economics and behavioral finance at Harvard. And I went there for a week and I came back and said, oh my gosh, here I am with a very quantitative background, but the world is actually driven by human beings who make decisions. That's not necessarily the way they should, but the way they are, which is highly emotional. Sometimes there's no rhyme and reason to it. How can I actually apply that. And I applied that in my investment process and it worked like a charm. And later on, when I went to Citi, when during the financial crisis, you know, managing a large portfolio of mortgage assets and mortgage loans is all about negotiating with the consumer, the homeowner about, you know, modifications and refinancing and changing the, uh, the loans. Well, that's all about behavioral psychology. That's all about understanding human decision-making. And so again, he came back and said, how do we systematize that knowledge? And that's really how Cognovi came together. We found that technology uh, with a, a company called Ecof Capital in Columbus, which looks for good technology 
they identified technology. They and I, we co-founded Cognovi and really to build out that uh, emotional decision-making analytics program. Fantastic. So, so you're essentially, you know, you know, you guys describe yourselves as a technology and an AI company. Um, can you kind of elaborate a little bit on the AI side of things and when that really came into the fold? Yes. So there are le- several layers of AI uh, we have. One of them is really, and let me explain the technology stack and what it does. So the first thing is we are listen- we are analyzing in real time and at scale free-flowing conversations, all publicly available information, social media and blogs and discussion forums. Uh, everything is aggregated. There's no personally identifying information. Everything we do is bought data publicly available. But it is free-flowing, which means people talk with a lot of slang and curses and emojis and half sentences, correct? It's not nicely edited and curated. Our technology, the first layer, really understands the context and the topics as they as it comes in, as there's big f- stream of free-flowing conversation comes in. So that's the first layer. The second layer is not just to understand what people say, but how they say it. Now, you can, you can talk about it and give a positive review, negative review, thumbs up, thumbs down. In our industry, that's called sentiment analysis. They, so that's the second part. The problem with sentiment analysis is it's not good enough because it's a reflection of how we talk. But human beings don't talk the talk the same way they walk the walk. We may do one thing, say one thing and do something else, correct? You remember two weeks ago, we were still able to go to a restaurant and maybe you went to dinner. And you got the dinner and five minutes later, the waiter may have come back and asked if everything is okay. And you probably said yes, even if the food came late, doesn't look appealing. You just gave a positive sentiment despite the fact that you will never go back to that restaurant. So sentiment analysis, how we talk, is a reflection of how civilized we are, not what we're going to do next. That's where our next two layers come in. The next AI component is really extracting the emotions, not just what people say and how they say it, but how they felt when they said it. And we extract six primary emotions of joy, anger, disgust, fear, sadness, and surprise. Those are the six primary emotions from Paul Ekman. And we do that in context. And that's where one of our machine learning, uh, leading industry-leading machine learning algorithms comes in to understand whether there is an emotion in context and and identified among the six primary emotions. And just to to spend a minute on that, it's not the words you use, it's the context which is important. Because I may have a cup of coffee and say, I love this cup of coffee, yeah, right. If if you look at the words, it seems as, as if I'm happy, but I'm actually pretty disgusted, correct? So the context is important, and we run a machine learning capability on top of that. The last step of our technology is to understand how emotions translate into behavioral signals. And it's not that joy is or happy, being happy is a good emotion and anger and disgust is a bad one. We are much more complicated. We as human beings have a pattern of emotion all the time and they all drive us to actions or inaction. So you said we are a, a group of artificial intelligence, software engineers, data scientists, business people. But here's what makes us also unique. We have a chief psychology officer as part of the core team. Because understanding how emotions translate in behavior, you need to 
know that from a psychological point of view. So what we did is we created our own behavioral signals coming from emotions. So now we have what people say, how they said it, how they felt when they said it, and most importantly, what they're going to do next. And that's critically important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, it sounds like you guys have a well-oiled machine, so to speak, at the moment. Now, now you're based in New York. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're headquartered in, in Columbus, Ohio. We have offices, development office in Dayton, Ohio, and then a business development office in New York City. Got it. I, I personally, I, I'm in the New York area. Okay, got it. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Um, you're obviously in some form of lockdown yourselves. Governor Cuomo has really stepped up to the plate and he's shown some really great strategic leadership skills, um, you know, specifically obviously in regards to regulation and infrastructure, but also in regards to emotional and social effects of dealing with a lockdown or what he calls the social consequences of this lockdown due to COVID-19. Um, he pointed out in one of his recent speeches, which you guys spoke to as well, that um, there's no Dow Jones, so to speak, for tracing social index, but you guys are working on exactly that rather um, with your Coronas Panic Index. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what this is you're developing and how Cog Cognovi Labs helps businesses navigate this space? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, your Governor Cuomo's uh, press conference from Saturday because 25 minutes or 26 minutes in to the conference, he had those two slides, one of them exactly mentioning that the impact from the pandemic will be felt long term, both economically, but also socially. And there is no doubt on social uh, index. And but the truth is, there is, and it's just called the Cognovi Labs uh, Coronavirus Pandemic Index. And we have actually a little video on our website explaining that. Um, we just put it on this morning. It's on cognovilabs.com. But here's how we can help. Because there was a second slide after that slide, which, which talked about there's no Dow Jones social index. He was asking for assistance on mental health. So here's what I didn't tell you, uh, what we also do. And uh, let me tell you that, uh, just explain quickly, because I want to go back then to what Cuomo has been talking about and what you're referring to. When you understand what emotions drive an outcome, not only can you help predict the outcome, you can actually change the outcome. If I know that certain marketing or certain communication trigger certain emotions, which will then lead to, to people buying my product, I can have a marketing campaign which keeps focusing on those words, those topics. And I can measure that in real time. And we work with corporations to exactly do that. So it's not just about having a better predictive tool, but also helping alleviate uh, some concerns or driving in, in for corporation sales uh, or a different outcome. And this is related to what Governor Cuomo was asking for. So first of all, if you want to change something, the first thing you need to do is really measure. We measure with the coronavirus pandemic index. We measure the emotionality, the anxiety, the, the, the panic level, not just across coronavirus, but also specific topics, you know, whether it's the current stimulus package or social distancing or employment or job loss. And 
you know, on, the, on our dashboard, which was put on, the, on our website, which is available for everyone, we have a, a, a fixed set of topics, which we over time will expand. But on our own dashboard, we can actually do that in real time and, and ask any question we're interested in. So understanding how things trend is important because not just when they flare up, but more importantly, when they really come down and the healing process can begin. So understanding that measuring that emotional response and level of anxiety is incredibly important. But what's as important is the second part. Now, we are not, um, you know, we can't provide one-on-one psychological assistant. Other people can. But our technology, what it can do is can identify how our policymakers, the media, influencers should talk about different topics because they will generate and trigger different emotions. Some of them will increase the panic and anxiety. Others will reduce it. And maybe a third one would not even evoke emotions that will not have any effect to begin with. So similar to how we work with corporations to drive sales, we can actually identify how to communicate to, to, uh, to cushion the mental trauma which will uh, be felt by a collective. And a, a simple example, you know, we talk about lockdown, you, lo- you talk about, you know, staying at home. So there are many ways you can talk about it. You can talk about quarantine, lockdown, staying at home, social distancing, physical distancing. You would think that they are all the same, but they are not. Each one of them, when they use them, will trigger different emotions. And we see that in real time in our system. So we can guide policymakers to uh, to use our technology to interact emotionally better with the public. And as a result, we have actually reached out to New York uh, Governor Cuomo to offer our help. We haven't heard back yet. Not a big surprise. They are somewhat busy right now. I think our technology can really help here uh, drive drive a better outcome. Absolutely. No, look, and kudos to you guys because I did take a look, obviously, at your, um, what, what you're calling the coronavirus panic index. Um, and it's very well laid out. It's very easy to use. And your subcategories, employment, travel, schools, like you said, stock market, social distancing, uh, you can have a really great snapshot. Um, you've got some great graphics there and see which states um, it's kind of peaking in and whatnot. Um, for example, I did have a question, and and basically you draw upon what are, from my understanding, emotional words and non-emotional words uh, for your data sets. For example, say I did a, a, did a quick look for um, employment um, in Texas, so to speak, um, and it ranks very high. I think it came up at 84 uh, out of zero to 100 in your scale. So that reflects obviously a panic index uh, within Texas, so to speak, as an example. But does that actually correlate to unemployment within Texas or is it more predictive of the anxieties that people are going through there? Like how do you drill further down on that, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yes, uh, great question. And uh, so, so what we're showing here is something pretty much at the aggregate level. And so if you go down in, into Texas and you see what it does around employment, um, <clears throat> by the way, it's also trending, correct? It has been increasing or has been changing over time. Um, you see how it, um, what the impact is. 
how predictive that is, we have to go to a much more granular level. Is and that's exactly what we're doing uh, with our regular business when we create um, signals and capabilities around the financial markets. So when we when we you know when there's no coronavirus uh, pandemic, we're very busy with corporations and ad agencies and financial service companies. So you can look at our data. You can get our raw data from us from. Uh, from uh, Bloomberg uh, sales, from Battlefin um, Ensemble. But what it does is it covers all the consumer stocks in the S&P 500, and it tracks the emotionality of the consumer towards those products to see if it's, gonna, it's going to drive sales or not. And that turns out to be quite predictive for investment processes. So there's nothing different here when we look at employment but in order to make it really predictive, we would have to go to the very specific level of around job loss or jobs um, and, um, and then and really track the emotionality on a, on a granular basis. And I believe that will give us some indications of what's going to happen. Now, companies will, will make the decisions whether people are anxious or not. But as we talked about, Narratives do change facts, correct? Stories, emotions change facts. Um, and, uh, you know, the best example is a, a run on a bank. If there's a run on a bank, it's purely emotional. It's a loss of trust. And so measuring that uh, ac- across various topics is, is really insightful. And even if it doesn't predict right now, it will tell you the turning point. We have We have a whole series of use cases. We look back. What happened with coronavirus? People started talking about it really at scale and being concerned. What three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and really accelerated over the last couple of weeks. But when we look at our technology, you know, look at the uh, dashboard and you put in general, and you look at it over time uh, on the trend side in the U.S., you will see that. From a panic point of view, the emotionality actually spiked up at the end of January, mid-January and the end of January. It was at the peak on January 29th and the 30s. There was not a lot of chatter, but the chatter told us something about the emotionality coming up. You will see that there was a lot of high panic early on. This was a month before the S&P started its its downward trend and collapse. So understanding emotions will tell us something how people will react down the road. And you guys are definitely at the forefront of that from what I can see. I mean, obviously having, um, you know, a chief psychology officer there, Narit Pisano, um, I, I read kind of an extract from your website, if you will, where she talks about, you know, the effect of coronavirus and she went on to explain, and if, if you don't mind, I'll just read out verbatim what she said via your website. Um, she explains, we celebrate resilience in various forms, recognising the mobilisation of resources when supplies are limited, the promotion of communal goals alongside individual needs and the dispensing of amusement and connection in the face of numbing isolation and despair. She points out, as the dust settles and the gravity of this trauma unfolds, our sense of self and sense of community will undoubtedly be impacted. So it sounds like Kenobi is kind of 
the people to go to to navigate this space. Can you tell me kind of what her role is further within your organisation? Because I think it's really interesting that you have someone that has this level of experience that's shedding light on this from both, you know, obviously the consumer standpoint, but also how that affects the psyche of the consumer. So can you shed a little more light on her role within your organisation and how she can be an asset to other companies and whatnot? Yes. So, so Dr. Paisano has, has a very rich um, experience, uh, both in research as well as, as a practicing clinical psychologist. And her role is instrumental in what we do. There is a, a fallacy of a lot of technology companies to think that technology alone, data science, artificial intelligence can solve everything. That's not the case. We need to understand where human knowledge and knowledge graphs and, and the, the concept of understanding a certain area, a certain industry comes in. Otherwise, it's garbage in, garbage out. It's very easy to find spurious correlations, um, to have something you think makes sense, but it's absolutely, it doesn't fit into any framework. So that's why it's so unique that when we get the emotions and we extract the emotions, we don't st- uh, we don't stay there. We go a, a significant step further to understand how those emotions drive mental health, people's actions, the emotionality. And her work is instrumental in not just building that IP, that in intellectual property component of the psychological framework. She is a, a, an important resource on a day-to-day basis to understand how we think about the data and how we can change that. So. Uh, absolutely fascinating. You know, you talked about it initially as we being, or you described us as a predictive analytics company, and that's the way we used to do it. But you could also call us an AI and data-driven uh, behavioral psychology platform, if you want so. And that opens up completely new uh, opportunities. And to that note, you know, um social media and, and whatnot and, and you, you know, it's influenced on our psyche and our consumer psyche as well. Um, you did um, touch upon it earlier, the note that influencers are kind of leading the way or maybe misleading the way, it depends which way you look at it, but making, you know, viral messages, encouraging people to stay at home, um, the sentiment towards those that aren't social distancing is rising. Um, you know, people obviously showing a lot of anger towards this naturally. Um, can you give us some more insight into this? Um, I guess kind of the effectiveness of these influencers and what they're doing, um, not specifically, but just in general terms? Yes, happy to. So usually when we talk about influencers and, and companies use influencers all the time uh, and politicians and so on to to influence, obviously, <laughs> to, to spread their knowledge, correct? There are, in our mind, and usually people look at it and say, okay, a good influencer is somebody who has a lot of followers. So somebody who has 100,000 influencers is probably double as good as somebody who has 50,000. We don't believe that's the case. We believe that there are influencers who are able to generate in an emotional conversations, and they are the influencers which just create noise. If you're not able to evoke emotions in the right way, then you are an ineffective influencer. 
And there are many of those. I'd rather take an influencer who has 50,000 followers, not 100,000, who is able to get three times the emotionality as the one with the more influences. And so you have, and that goes into the, um, has a positive and a negative. The positive is you can identify the influences which really is going to make a difference for your business, your uh, political campaign, your government policy, or right now in terms of communication during the coronavirus. But it also has the opposite. People who are highly emotional can also influence in the, in the wrong way. So you have to be careful. So we can raise a flag and we can say, here are influencers ranked by the level of emotionality and reach and not just by the number of influencers, uh, the number of followers they have. So influencers are important, but only the ones which are emotionally engaging. From influencers to financial markets, they sometimes correlate, they sometimes don't. Um, I wanted to just harp upon your time as an EVP at City. You mentioned you oversaw, um, you know, the mortgage, the residential mortgage crisis uh, during the, sorry, during the financial crisis, I should say, you oversaw the uh, residential mortgage business. Comparing that <laughs> to what we're going through now, um, how much of a crisis is it? Can you give us some, I mean, we all know it's a crisis. We can see what's happening if you tune into, you know, Bloomberg any day of the week. But what's your take on it? Because you actually have some really, you know, firsthand experience in that. You know, it, uh, to some extent, it feels the same. And to some extent, it feels different because every crisis is different. But there's definitely this issue around panic and the uncertainty and what the, out, the, the eventual outcome is. Um, which we didn't know, you know, when the market crashed and the mortgage business um, was able and unfortunately didn't, but could have taken down the entire bank. Um, there was a lot of a lot of stress on the system, and uh, and the same here. I think the ramification there were felt for years and years, uh, and the same will be here as well. There will be a collective trauma which we need to address, and I think. I think the difference now is that, well, from my personal point of view, is that we were very active then in helping uh, solve the solve many of the issues. And I can say proudly that you know um, the the management team, and I was one of the on the senior management uh, team there. Um, we were able to keep a million and a half Americans in the home. And that was very rewarding. And I know banks get a, a bad rap for what they did. I only joined City in 2008 when the crisis started precisely to help uh, solve the crisis. So I wasn't in mortgages even before that. That was a Morgan Stanley before that. So we were able to solve as a team uh, and make a significant impact. I believe we can do something similar here. I'm obviously not working directly with the public. But I'm working with that technology, which I believe has a significant, uh, can play a significant uh, public service role. And I hope it will be picked up and I can start those conversations with the, with the decision makers in the government and policymaker and media to really make best use out of that technology. You know, essentially, thanks to companies like yourselves and technology and AI and all that good stuff, um, which we, you know, hope to think we're far more advanced than we were back then. You guys are really helping companies and businesses to not be 
don't react, but as you guys say, predict, yeah? Um, be smart about utilising companies like yourself so you can predict what's coming rather than being reactionary. Um, I liked, I saw on your website, uh, you guys describe yourselves a bit as um, Cognovi Labs is a fusing machine learning with behavioural psychology. I thought that's fantastic. Are there other data sets? I mean, obviously there's a lot of data sets you guys specialise in, but other than coronavirus, obviously, what other are your main data sets that you guys look after? We are um, we are tracking anything our clients are interested in. So we uh, we have a coverage universe of all the consumer stocks in uh, in S and P five hundred index, um, loaded uh, with uh, six years of da daily data uh, to make available for investment. Uh, you know, hedge funds and investment clients and and traders. Uh, when we work with companies, we go to the companies and their competitors. When we work with other uh, other uh, you know entities, sometimes it doesn't go to the company level. It's more generic. It's I want to understand uh, you know what's happening on the healthcare side. So you can think about if you're a company, let's say in healthcare insurance. Um, you probably want to understand what are some of the regulatory issues around Medicare for all and how is the consumer responding because that will drive your stock price. And when there is an investor call, you probably will be asked by an analyst about that. So we track any conversation. It could be on a specific topic, it could be in a company, it could be a specific event. And we track that over time. And as, is, you know, as we discussed, we then extract those emotional and behavioral signals. That's fantastic. I think um, companies like Airbnb need to need to uh, bring your service on, on board without without calling out anything. But they're going through some incredible uncertain times. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, obviously, but Airbnb's really cracked down on obviously you know no one's booking uh, booking uh, places anymore. So they've got a real problem with everyone cancelling. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see how that will all play out. Um, a couple more questions because I, I am aware of the time pressure we have. But just quickly, uh, can you tell us a little more about your event impact app, uh, which measures the potential consumer impact of company-related events? Um, and it's powered up by you guys, obviously, and what you call your emotion AI. Can you tell us a little bit about that app? Yes, um, happy to. So, you know, um, Tyson, the boxer, once said, everyone has a strategy until you get hit in your face. Yeah. Correct? Now, if you think about an investor, that's exactly how the investor experience every day. Every investor has a strategy, an investment thesis. They want to buy this, they want to buy that, they feel comfortable, and then they wake up in the morning and something happened. And the question is, okay, I got just punched in my face. Do I have to change my investment thesis and either sell or buy more, whatever the action is? So up to now, there was very little information at an investor's fingertips to understand in real time if the business could be infect, affected by that event. Um, so think about the following. There is... Marriott had a data breach and they announced it November the 30th, 2018. So about a year and a half ago. And the stock reacted 
if you're an investor, what do you do? Do you think that that's bad for Marriott because everyone is now going to cancel their reservation and go with Hilton instead and is impacting Marriott sales? Or is it a non-event? What happened if Nike has an event, uh, you know, has a, you know, Kaepernick uh, advertisement, which goes viral and everyone feels that it's overboard and the, the stock reacts negatively. Is that good or bad? Um, so how do you measure the importance of an event? So what our event impact app does is exactly does it tracks all the consumer stocks we have in our coverage universe on a real-time basis and will tell you whether there was an event over the last 24 roll, uh, hours rolling forward, so rolling backwards. So was there over the last 24 hours an event defined as the consumer or the public talking about this company about something, whatever it is. But all of a sudden there's chatter, mm-hmm. high level of chatter. What our technology does is it identifies that as an event, extracts the emotions out of that event, and then tells you if that event had a high emotional emotional impact or not. This impact score is similar to the panic score. Will it have a high impact, medium impact, or low impact? So if I'm coming out with, if there was something, a, a risk, a lawsuit, or a, a, you know, a data breach, I hope that the emotional impact will be low because that means that the consumer doesn't care. And indeed, for Marriott, that's exactly what happened. The consumer didn't care. They told us four months later it was indeed a non-event. But in many cases, the consumer does care. And therefore, you have to be aware as an investor, oh, my gosh, this could change for better or for worse, depending what the issues are, the, the underlines. And what's interesting with the last few weeks, what we have seen is usually on, on the Bloomberg app, um, on the Bloomberg terminal and now in, um, you know, event impact app, we see roughly three or four events a day for the 160 plus companies. Over the last few weeks, we have seen an exponential growth. And now we see somewhere between 15 and 20 events a day. And most of them now are high impact. And many of them are related to coronavirus. The first one going back to January. So uh, two months ago, we already had the first high impact event on on the Bloomberg terminal uh, around the company and the coronavirus related. And that only accelerated. Yeah. And so it's important to understand which companies have those events and high impact. But it's also important to know which one companies don't have them or have an event with a low impact because you won't understand that as an investor, what drives fundamentals and what doesn't. No, it's, it's, fa- it's fascinating stuff. Um, and I, I encourage everyone to you know reach out to you guys i mean obviously your key audiences are you know corporations investors uh, marketing professionals and whatnot to anyone that actually is listening to this uh, podcast um and want to access i guess more of your raw data um how might they do that is it via the bloomberg access point uh, as you mentioned battlefin ensemble or directly from you guys um which is the best approach well, it depends how they want to, each one of them has a, a pro and car. If they, uh, we can guide them. So if they want to reach out to us uh, at cognovilabs.com, we have a, 
uh, a form they can fill out and we get an email, we can respond in real time. Um, there are different ways to do it. We can send them the data if they want to play around a little bit and test it. And Battlefin Ensemble has many other data sources and data sets they can test simultaneously. If they're already a Bloomberg client, they can integrate that with the Bloomberg access point and do it seamlessly there. And, um, and, and it's, it's painless. So the, each one, each venue and channel has its pros and cons. And depending on the client, we're happy to discuss that. Sure. Okay. Fantastic. Well, look, I want to wrap it up. I do want to leave with one final question, if that's all right, Benny. And, um, you know, I just would love our listeners to know from you, from overall, maybe one or two, or maybe there's three you want to speak to, um, AI predictions or news that you guys are tracking that you've been like, wow, that's really interesting or uh, something you didn't see coming, uh, you know, consumer sentiment-wise, um, regarding, obviously, the coronavirus uh, panic index. Is there anything that's kind of stuck out to you and your team um, that, you know, listeners might find interesting? Yeah, let me, let me just mention a couple of things. Um, on our technology, we saw a 10,000-time spike in fear related to coronavirus back January 25th. And if you open up, you know, a, a chart of the S&P, let's say, to see what the, the stock market did, it took another probably two weeks before it starts collapsing. So the right. fact that, yes, people didn't talk about it at scale, but the ones who did already showed us that there is a phenomenal amount of panic and fear behind that. Right. Another event I want to tell you is what happened um, 10 days ago, Sunday the 15th. The Fed came out, the U.S. Federal Reserve, and cuts interest rates. Mm -hmm. And that was Sunday night. And we immediately saw that people started talking and there was a spike in conversations. And guess what? We saw that that conversation didn't have any strong emotionality. Now, that's a problem. If you think about the Fed's objective, it's first of all to provide additional liquidity, but also to restore trust in the market, in the capital market. They clearly failed on the second because the public didn't buy it. Emotionally, they didn't care. So Sunday night, we already knew that the market is in trouble. And indeed, the S&P dropped, I think, 12% the next day. So understanding the emotionality and whether the, the pill you're giving them, in this case, the interest rate cut, will solve at least the, the trust issue or not, um, is incredibly important and can be predicted. That's incredible stuff, and that's uh, you know information you can't get or quantify um, otherwise without companies like yourselves. So, look, I thank you so much for your time, Benny. It's really fascinating stuff, and I feel like we could go further and further and deeper and deeper into your data sets. And it's really, really important in times like this. Um, so, thank you for all the work your team is doing and yourself. And again, if um, any of our listeners want to find out more, it's cognovilabs.com. Um, you can check out what they're doing, follow them, certainly reach out to them directly um, if you're interested in knowing more about what they can do for your business. But I thank you again, Betty, for your time. It's been great to speak to you. Well, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. It was a real pleasure. Absolutely. And keep doing what you do. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Be safe. Cheers. You too.